This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in Standard Orbit, sir. Listeners of Standard Orbit, it's my great privilege to be the one to welcome you to this latest episode of the show. Uh, my name is Nick Anastasiu, and I am just a guest, um, but I'm very, very lucky to be on board this ship today with the um, Senior Chief Ken Tripp and the wonderful and lovely Amy Nelson, who are two of my favorite people on the Trek FM network, which is quite a qualifier because it's nothing but good peoples, and two of my favorite people, period. And I think we're going to talk about some some ideas beyond something today. Um, Ken, would you like to elaborate a little bit? I will. Yeah, I can, I can definitely do that. So you, welcome aboard, Nick. Nice to have you. Amy, nice to have you aboard as well. It's been a while since you've been on Standard Orbit, right? Yeah, so. I think the last time was a crossover when I was on with Earl Grey. So nice to be back. Oh, that's right. That's when you guys um, somehow beamed Zach and I in to talk about the two worst episodes between the series. That's that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah, that was that was fun. Anyway, I'm glad to have you both here on the show. And before we get get into some things, there's a, a couple of things I just wanted to to talk about. It seems like every time we start a, a show every week, we have another horrible event going off of natural events going off. Um, around the planet and lately you know we've we've had uh i guess this would be our third hurricane uh down in puerto rico and the caribbean islands and our thoughts and prayers are with those folks as well as the folks in in mexico i have been very relieved to hear from our our, our friends and and some of our colleagues and co-workers down there that uh, at least our our team's families are all safe and sound which is great news but uh, we know they're going through a lot. And you know what we're trying to do here on Standard Orbit, as we always do, is come in with something light, fun, and entertaining. We, we do some heavy shows. <laughs> Nick and I certainly did one a few, few, few months back. But you know, it is our, obso- our, our, our goal to make sure that we're going to uh, allow you folks in or t- uh, escape for a little bit, have some entertaining conversation with our very good friends, Nick and Amy. And... Um, you know, Amy, I've been saying lately that you've kind of become the Jeffrey Combs of the Trek FM network. You're on every damn podcast we do. And uh, are you enjoying your, your 
I guess, journey. Uh, that's a little indicator of what she might be on next, folks. Uh, oh, I see what you did there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I am absolutely loving it. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the edge and to host postcards. That's been my little baby, and I, I love it. I love interacting and hearing what the fans have to say about each of the series. And now Discovery is going to start on Sunday, which I guess will be yesterday from when this drops. Um, yes. But I'm looking forward to, you know, hearing what the fans have to say about this trek on TV right now. It's so exciting. <laughs> so I'm very, very excited. It just hit me that there'll probably be no one listening to the show on Monday <laughs> with all the Discovery stuff going on. Don't forget little old standard orbit. We're out here. Anyway. Uh, well, well, we can, you know, we can always pitch it by reminding folks that TOS takes place in the same era as Discovery. That's right, it does. So Nick, it's been a while since we've, you've been on the air and um, you should know something that was interesting. I was looking at all the past episodes, you've done three other shows. All of them are top, top um, in terms of numbers and in terms of fan reaction, which I think is just great. So I mean, you're, um, you're definitely a hit on Standard Orbit. So it's, it's great to, to have you aboard, but just in general, how are things with you? Well, I'm, um, I'm good. Um, thank you, first of all. Um, thanks for the, for the shout out and thanks for, for anyone, everyone who listens. I'm glad that, that folks are enjoying the shows that, that uh, I've been lucky to be on. Um, I've been good. Uh, I work is good. I'm currently working on a uh, Marvel Pictures movie uh, on Black Panther. Uh, and that's been fun. Uh, it's my fourth project with, uh, with the Marvel group. Nice. And um, uh, that one should, should carry me, I think, into the winter, basically uh, until about Christmas or maybe right after. And uh, other than that, uh, I've been enjoying a lot of uh, Star Trek watching, a lot of uh, uh, Star Trek podcast listening. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to the queen of podcasts, as I've heard the title being dubbed and coined here and there, um, who definitely seems to be getting around um, the network. And um, yeah, I'm just uh, kind of butterflying back and forth between uh, some of my favorite next gen and TOS. Uh, and as I think everyone is uh, getting really excited for, uh, for discovery, really, really excited. I, um, and I think Amy and I were, were chatting, uh, was it last, last, last night was the premiere, right? Yeah. As of the time we're recording the show um, uh, in LA and uh, Amy and I were, were, going back and forth talking about what we were seeing some people were streaming outside you know the red carpet mm -hmm. and it's funny because in the morning um uh, she was she was she sent me a couple of messages about about the uh the premiere happening and how it would have been cool to be there and i was trying to play cool like eh, it's okay you know these events they always kind of inflate them and whatever you know we'll see it we'll see it on sunday it'll be just as good even better from the comfort of your home and as i was watching you know people kind of streaming and posting pictures and how much it's not about like rubbing elbows with the celebrities it's just everybody seemed to be so joyful and having such a great time from the people working at making the show to the people to the fans um and i can i can only imagine you know well actually i can do more than imagine having worked on the tv series for almost two years before it aired um and there was a lot of pressure because we were a high profile franchise 
and there's all this and you try to keep stay motivated and excited in the vacuum of what you're creating but after two years to finally get to the point where you can all of a sudden show it to the world and share um it, it's it's just a very very um elating feeling and, and just seeing that made me wish last night um that i was there sharing as well and enjoying it so i can't wait for sunday it's a big day that's for sure and it's um it's going to be interesting there's a lot of hype around this thing and uh, i hope it launches well and and it does you know uh, great numbers and becomes a big success so that we can have star trek on tv for a long time and i hope it does what tng was able to pull off and that is lots of spin-offs maybe different eras and things like that so We'll see, I guess. We'll see on Sunday. I mean, it's, uh, I would say that the one thing I saw was as, as we get into our topic today and we're going to be talking about Star Trek Beyond, you know, they were really slow to market that movie, but boy, they did a lot of big deals, right? They had a nice premiere at San Diego Comic-Con. They had the whole cast there. We had a lot of people that were able to go to stage 19, uh, a lot of folks uh, for that premiere. So I think they're starting to um, do things right when it comes to Star Trek and, and launch it with a launch with a lot of, um, I guess, a lot of high profile and, 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 and big, you know, uh, draws. And it's definitely capturing the attention of a, of a lot of folks. So let's hope it, it, it works out. So for us today, I'm sorry, Amy, you had something to say. Well, I wanted to be the segue because, you know, I went to the Beyond premiere. And before that, in May of last year, I went to the fan event and watching and experiencing with everyone who loves Trek, that's why I was so bummed to miss the premiere of Discovery. And that just made me think of that time when I was, you know, in San Diego watching this movie, this amazing movie with all the fans. I couldn't believe how exciting and it just took the level up a notch. I mean, just, and so when I saw the live stream and it just like, oh, I wish I was there. And there were quite a few people from the network there and ended up there were extra tickets. And I'm like, why didn't I just go? I was so disappointed. Bruce Gibson he was there for business and just drove by and got in because there was an extra ticket. So I was like, oh, I should have been there. But for beyond, um, so I went to the fan event in May and they showed us a special clip. And that was one of my um, moments that I wanted to talk about. Can I do that now? You know what? Oh, let's just go for it. <laughs> so, um, from beyond, um, because I was there, they showed us the beginning, the opening scene, and we've got Kirk looking through his closet with all the clothes and sort of explaining, you know, what's been happening since Into Darkness. And you can just feel Kirk go through the mundane and the episodicness of his, the life. And he's sort of uh, questioning his purpose and like it's you know space goes on forever so what there's this endlessness is there ever really a purpose here and then it also it ends with when he's in having a drink with bones for his birthday which I guess is you know previous from the original movies that call back to that 
And, you know, he's just feeling like, well, he's made it one year past what his father had lived. And just questioning that whole questioning theme just really hits a note with me. And so that opening scene for me, because I saw it in the fan event, but it just, it's so powerful to start this movie off with that tone. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. So, okay. So that's a great segue actually. And it's, it's actually works out very nicely talking about that. So you went to the fan event. Did you get this, the beyond poster that looked like Star Trek, the motion picture? I did. It is a limited. I have number 675 out of a thousand. You do have it. Yes. It is framed. It's framed. Yes. Very, very cool. Okay. I was curious. You never mentioned that when we were talking about the fan event and how Jeff was supposed to get me a poster like that. And then he gave it to somebody else. Remember that? Yeah. So you have that, huh? That's nice. I do have that Good for you. Good for you. All right. I'm happy for you. So what we were going to do tonight was talk about the the biggest, most um, Star Trek moments, right? What personifies Star Trek in the movie Beyond. So we've done the other two movies. So glad to have you guys here. Somebody to talk to. I've been talking to no one uh, to <laughs> the last couple of episodes, and it's, it's nice to, to bring you in to discuss it. So I'm going to take that as your third favorite. Is that right? Or was that your number one favorite scene from Star Trek Beyond, Amy? I'm not. I really enjoy this movie. So I'm going in chronological, chronological order. order. Okay. Yes. So I'm not. There are no ranks because I don't think that I could because it's right up there. They're all up there. The ones I chose. I see. Okay. Well, that's fine. If that's if that's what it is, that's what it is. So Nick, let's talk about that opening scene. Then we'll go in that direction because I actually have it on my list anyway. What were your uh-huh. thoughts? Oh, I loved it. Um, I um, and I'm glad that Amy put it on her list because that way it it, it helps. First of all, let me say, cutting down, uh, cutting it down to the top three uh, favorite scenes in Star Trek Beyond is a very very tall order. It is. Um, I know. Yeah. It's very very difficult. So. Um, that was one that I was finding myself forced to cut, um, but only because because I had to narrow it down to, to three. And so I'm really glad that Amy um, Amy included it. I, I think it's a great scene. I think it's a great scene for um, what she talked about the the way that it um, it introduces a theme which is going to be recurrent on the film. So there's consistency there narratively. Um, it also helps propel the character of Kirk in the, in the, the Kelvin timeline to a level of maturity that he was lacking um, in, uh, in Into Darkness. Uh, he wasn't supposed to have it in 09, so I thought it was, it was right, but uh, it was very clumsily handled in the, in the middle movie. And here, he questions himself, but he does it in a mature way, which I really liked. Um, he questions himself but he still goes about performing his duty. And even though the opening scene, the cold open, um, it, it's played for comedic value, it also shows that he's still going on with the mission and performing it to the best of his ability as Captain Kirk. And, and even afterwards, um, he goes about questioning himself and explore, exploring other um, possibilities by the book, the way he's supposed to. He, as he carries out his duty, including what could be his final mission, um, he investigates 
options to get a promotion or to get another assignment. Um, and, and, and really, you know, I, I, that helped to have all that conveyed through, through this, the, his monologue uh, helped set the tone of the movie right for me from the get-go. Um, and I think in addition, there's a, uh, something really cool to that scene, which is it functions great for me as, as a Star Trek, as a TOS scene. Um, it has the captain's log. Uh, so it was, it's a great way to give us all this information, but also do it through something which right away anchors it in something that is very, very profoundly Star Trek and even TOS probably. Um, and, um, and also the captain's log and the, the montage that you have over his narration uh, shows me life on the ship. And I think that's something that we might have talked about before. I know I've, I've heard you mention it before with Zach. I feel like sometimes, for completely understandable reasons, the movies, all the movies, not, not the Kelvin timeline, even the, the TNG ones, uh, and before that, the original TOS crew, um, lack in showing you life on the ship. You don't really, ha in a movie, you know, it's two hours, you have to have a very, very driven plot line. You don't have time to see um, Counselor Troy and Beverly Crusher going, you know, for yoga or... <laughs> or people having a drink necessarily, you have to move on with the plot. Um, and so I really enjoyed, I thought it was very cleverly done, the way that it showed, it showed in the space of this minute or minute and a half, however long it was, um, that feeling of, well, this is a place where people spend all their days for a long period of time. And I, I've always loved that about Star Trek, the idea that it's this, you know, this place where people, it's a home, it's another home. So yeah. I like that. Oh, well said. Well said. Okay. Well, Amy, you kicked it off and you're trying to go in chronological order. So I'm going to come back to you again. First of all, I'll just say that, you know, I'm not going to put my foot through a Picasso. I've got nothing more to say about that scene. You guys were brilliant. So I agree with you. <laughs> and I had that on my list. So Amy, what's the next one in your book? Okay. Well, I'm just going to throw in a little quote. I know you didn't ask for quotes, but I, I have two that I really liked. And so I didn't say you couldn't either. So Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's in between the opening scene and then my next one. But I really like this quote um, where the ship is sort of going through warp and then it's just sort of this over voice. And it says, there's no such thing as the unknown, only the temporarily hidden. And I just, I really love that quote. It's so true in so many, in every aspect, like within yourselves, you don't know yourself until you, you know, actually look at it and, and address it. And so much in inventions and technology and math and physics, like there's just, it's just, we just don't know it. So, so you really, really like that quote. I, I mean, do. you love that quote. I do. It's very like, good. Like one of the best ones in Star Trek. Is it up there? It is up there. Yeah. Nick knows what I'm doing. I'm setting you up. That came from the original series. That was lifted right from a TV show. Was it? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> the original Captain Kirk say that. Yes, he did. What What were we talking about? Um, <laughs> EOS and the original Captain Kirk, Amy, and how cool, how awesome he is. Well, he, Kirk, yes, nailed it right there. Okay, agreed. Do you, Now, do you know which episode it was from? 
off the top if you're of gonna head. put me on the spot i'm gonna put you on no the no that's fair i it, it's funny uh i was watching it and um i don't know i was doing the episode with zach and i didn't realize it uh until i saw the tv show oh like three months ago and i don't remember which episode it was but when kirk said it i went oh my god that's in beyond and and it was just one of those things i i realized but I'm I'm not the computer. My my partner is where you can go. Oh yeah, it was it was this one, you know. But it was a it was a similar thing though. He was announcing it to the crew, and I, I think I'm I'm not sure off the top of my head. I think I want to say that it's in the uh, it's the the famous episode. I think it's Corbomite maneuver. Well, it's it's I think it's part of the uh, risk is our business. Well, it was it, oh, I don't know, but I think that might have been the Corbomite maneuver. When they were going yeah. around the buoy, I'm I'm fairly sure that it's a season one episode. I mean, yeah. Don't don't worry. Right now, as as this is is listened to, mm-hmm. there are hundreds of Star Trek fans who screaming are screaming at us, screaming, jumping up and down, typing on every possible device. You know. Oh yeah. With, I mean, with yes, many listeners, let us know oh. what episode that. I know what's from. happening. Yeah, Chris, Tim, all they're all yelling at me. Yeah, it's yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they do and you call yourselves tos fans yeah that i do believe me. it was i do believe it was corbinite maneuver and uh we'll, we'll see we'll see okay. uh, we can look it up as we go but that is a great quote that is a great quote it is so and going, i wrote yeah. i wrote that down for this so look at you i'm impressed all right, so my second scene and you might i might surprise you and the listeners um, because I've never really, I hear fans say that the ship is one of the characters and I know what you're saying, but I've never really felt that until this movie. And so my, the next scene in order is where the enterprise is being demolished. Like they lose the nacelles and then crawl gives that command to cut its throat and those drones come in and just told I'm getting see I'm getting emotional right now um and just demolish they tears apart this enterprise and I never even my love of enterprise d and we all know I love enterprise d but like I didn't have that feeling even in generations of losing enterprise d like I did enterprise this 1701 in beyond and when kirk is getting turbo whatever you know evacuating the kelvin pod yes the kelvin pod pod. and you see kirk's reflection in the glass and he's watching as the saucer goes down i mean just the final destruction you lose your nacelles you lose the saucer from the main and then the saucer goes down to destruction like and you see his reflection and I just, it really gets to me and watching that, I mean, every single time it just, it really, really gets to me. And for me, that's surprising because I never really thought of the ship as a character, but this movie made me really feel like the ship was a character. So that's my second scene. Not bad. Nick, your thoughts. Um, yeah, again, um, it's great because this removes it's it's one less that I, I have to I don't have to fight for it um because uh, I, I I was going to there's another one I was going to knock off to put this one um 
as one of my top three. And specifically that moment where Kirk is, is watching um, through the reflection in that glass, in the glass, um, the saucer crash. Uh, so, I mean, I think that it, uh, you know, and that's another thing we've talked about uh, before. I think that uh, sometimes the Enterprise, again, all movies and all, all, uh, all eras um, included, takes a little bit too much of a pummeling in the movies. But, uh, but if you're going to do it, uh, and if you're going to motivate it, this, this was as, as motivated as it could be and effective as it could be. Um, and I would say, yeah, I mean, it, it was, to me, it was definitely on par with one of my favorite Star Trek moments, which is uh, Bones and, uh, and Kirk and, and the rest of the bridge crew watching the Enterprise burn in, in uh, Search for Spock. Um, and Kirk's line, you know, my God bones, what have I done? And I, I, it worked just, just as, as beautifully, I thought. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I think that the, um, the scene was powerful, there's no doubt. I think one of the differences in this one was, I could argue in Star Trek Three, I could argue in Generations, that the ship really didn't need to be destroyed. I, I, you know, it was, it was dramatic. It added, you know, a lot of emotion especially in star trek 3 i thought generations it was kind of a throwaway for a proud ship i uh you know i know i tease you amy all the time about the about the d but i always love that show and i i love the ship and i i thought it needed a more dignified way to go than getting spit on by a little bird of prey and you know they kind of made it almost comedic it it just didn't work but in this one um this puts the entire crew and I don't even know what the crew complement is in these new movies, right? I know it was 430 back in the TOS days. It's a thousand on the, on the D I'm guessing it's about the same size as that, but all those people stranded together and it became, if, if they didn't do this upfront and as part of the movie, uh, it wouldn't have worked. And, and so they, they did it. I thought in such a dramatic fashion and such an emotional, because to your point, Amy, it was like, piece by piece by piece it was a, a a you know death by a thousand cuts it just it just wouldn't stop and and it's almost like oh just put it out of its agony almost and it was depressing as hell which means it was effective because you could if you could feel it then the rest of the audience could so i did have that as um as my third favorite scene uh was was that whole that whole piece um really i kind of bracketed it from the time they they were going through the nebula and made that speech or you know telling that to the crew uh to when um you know they had escaped and and they were all on the surface so i thought that you know, i agree with you it was it was a great scene and it was interesting was before the movie came out it was obvious the enterprise was going to get destroyed they didn't hide that from anybody and a lot of us including me were like oh come on not not again i mean it's such a tropey thing you know, the, the ships can survive years and years and years on a TV show and almost anything. And then in the movies, you just get rid of it. And I remember when uh, Jeff came back from that fan event, the same one you were at, and he was talking to us on this on standard orbit. And I said, don't, you know, um, tell us any spoiler spoilers, but we know the ship gets destroyed. And all he said is, you won't be disappointed. They did it in a very classy way. I said, okay, so that made me feel like, all right, maybe it won't be so bad, but it was, it was more powerful than I thought it was going to be. So, all right, Nick, I'm going to come back to you now. And 
you know, I, I, I think you probably did it in order, you know, you know, Amy, she tells me she's the one who follows the rules, breaks them. Just, just so you know. Um, did you have I'm, one? I'm not surprised. Yeah, I know. What would you think your, your number two would be? Or what, what did you have as your number two? Not what you think. What did you put down? Was it? Uh, for, for number two or for number three? Uh, if we skipped your three, we can go with three. So for three, for three, um, well, initially I was going to to have that moment that Amy described uh, with uh, with Kirk uh, when uh, that that specific scene and where you see his face in the reflection of the glass. Uh, since Amy brought it up, I don't have to perfect uh, perfect uh, teamwork. Uh, I would say then the moment between um, Bones and Spock, uh, the scene. After they've spent the night, you know, when Spock's rested and before they get separated, before Spock gets beamed, um, beamed away, there's this really cool moment that I really enjoy where, well, first you get the classic banter between the two. And that's perfectly in line with TOS. And again, they play it really well. It's very well written, very well acted. Um, it feels like, like that TOS chemistry. But what I love is that small moment where Spock acknowledges how much he appreciates McCoy and in a way which I don't think you know is meant to be sarcastic even says I thought I thought it was obvious to you how much I appreciate your presence your you know what our, our friendship and I really really love that moment because that is something and this is kind of what I, because it's so hard to focus on the top three you know favorite moments for me i was looking for things that that i loved that felt like star trek but that also added something that didn't just repeat or call back but where i felt the filmmakers were successful in genuinely writing more star trek and new star trek and i felt like this actually advanced the character of spock and mccoy and the, the relationship between spock and mccoy um, it's it's a little bit you know like uh, that scene in the search for Spock where Bones um, is sitting at the side of, of Spock unconscious and for the first time and granted he's unconscious but still for the first time confesses how much he's missed having Spock um, and says you know I don't know I don't know if I could I don't know if I can do this again if you if you don't come back um, and it was a very touching thing in and out of itself but also because you had never seen you'd never seen Bones actually openly talk about how much he loved Spock, which we knew, but it's, it's, it's one thing to know it and another thing to say it. And in that little moment, I felt the same thing, but mirrored back from Spock to Bones. And I thought that was just, that was just really wonderful. Yeah, it was wonderful. I think it's the only time I can remember too, where um, Spock referred to him as just Leonard. Yeah. Yep. I picked up on that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, it's, it was a it was a beautiful scene. Uh, all their scenes together, in the cave afterwards too, and you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would, I would, you know, if I, <laughs> if I could stretch it, then I would basically say the entire the entire um, Spock McCoy arc from start to finish. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I like that. Amy. Well, yeah, I was gonna say that that scene when they're in the caves and like. I mean, from the beginning, those two, the, the development that they have between them, just, you know, when he finds out that uh, Spock found out that original Spock had passed and 
just the glances that they go in between because now here Bones knows that um, Spock wants to leave the Federation. And so the glances and the, oh, I know what you're talking about, those, it's so, it's throughout the entire movie. And I, I love it. That's, that's one of the things, yeah, that's I have on my list as well. Yeah, yeah. Tracking device on your girlfriend. Yeah, that's pretty no, good. No, that's the one. That's, that's the one? Yes, I have it. (laughs) It's so funny. So funny. But we don't need to go there if we don't want to. We can go anywhere you want, right? Okay, because I totally, I was like pausing the movie. (laughs) I'm like, I've got to get it right because it's so funny. So they're trying to capture the crew um, from Crawl's base. And so they have to search for this Volkai. And then Bones is like, you gave your girlfriend radioactive jewelry? (laughs) And Spock's like, the emission is harmless, but its unique signature makes it very easy to identify. Then Bones is like, you gave your girlfriend a tracking device? And like Spock didn't even consider it like that way. And he's like, that was not my intention. And then Bones is like, glad he doesn't respect me. I mean, come on. That is so funny. I love it. I think you know what that you know what that makes me think of, Amy, is another great moment between the two of them um, early in the film, when uh, when Bones realizes that uh, that Uhura and Spock broke up. Yeah. And uh, I'm paraphrasing, but that that line that Bones has when he says, "You know, when an Earth girl tells you it's not your fault, she really means it's your fault." Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was great, and the and the the reaction on uh, Zachary Quinto has I mean, he just plays it perfectly. I know, it's really really good. Yeah, so the whole Bones and Spock is really really good in the movie. Okay, I agree with both of you. That was the, the, they had some priceless lines, and the chemistry was perfect between. But you know, it was the the reaction shots too between Scotty and. And Kirk, as those conversations would go on to, were perfect, especially about that tracking device one. And of course, how they picked that up at the end of the movie, right? When they're we're in their lounge celebrating the birthday and she's holding mm-hmm. the, the amulet. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know those glances that they know. I love it. Yeah. That yeah, was perfect. It was perfect. Okay. Anything else, Amy? What's your next one? No, Ken, what's yours? What's mine? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm aligned with all two? these. My number two um was uh the spock and bones crash site so everything we just talked about was my number two so when they you know he has to remove the um the metal from his side and you know he the whole horseshit comment and all that stuff i I just thought the way it was played was was done really really well so from that point and all the conversations that they had that was my number two so i i think it's well captured do you do you want me to do uh, my number two sure go ahead um, so for number two, again, I try to, to focus on things that to me played the dynamic of Star Trek and TOS really well, but at the same time felt like it added. And, um, I came up with the scene between, um, Kirk and Chekhov when they sneak back onto the saucer section at night. Um, I just thought it, it's a, it's a, it's a extremely well executed scene in every respect. Um, and this is where, you know, we, we talk and sometimes even for the movies we, we love, we kind of malign the modern style of filmmaking and, you know, the high intensity of editing and action. Um, but here it's a perfect example of how you can, when it's, when it's well motivated, well directed, 
you can do a modern, you can shoot modern track, edit modern track um, in a way that's very contemporary and that works and that doesn't, not only doesn't, it doesn't do a disservice to Star Trek, it actually really serves to make Star Trek uh, relevant and work as a product of its, of its current time. And I thought that the action was extremely well um, executed. It's a very complicated scene if you think about it. Um, to to remain clear and to follow where they go, what happens, um, and it's it's done very very well. And at the, at the same time, uh, I just love the look of it and the uh, the character uh, interaction between between Kirk and Chekhov is great. And it's um, I was thinking about it, <clears throat> and I was I was asking myself um, for the purpose of, of our discussion. Why do I like it so much? It's it's one of the, if not my favorite action scene in the film. And I and I came out with the fact that it's, well, there's there's some simple reasons and, and some that are a little more in depth. The fact that, first of all, we've never really seen Kirk and Chekhov together by themselves paired up um, in Star Trek before. We've seen them together. We've seen them together with, with the rest of the bridge crew, um, but never kind of on a quote-unquote mini mission together. Um, and it's a it's, so it's, it's de there's definitely a novelty, something fresh about it. Um, but I think it's also very clever. It's a very good choice of who to pair Kirk with. Because if you think about it, um, and going back even to prime timeline TOS, we obviously, for, for reasons that we all know, they'd never explored the, the, the secondary characters of the bridge crew uh, that much. But if you think about it, Chekhov is a little bit, Chekhov is probably the most Kirk-like character on the bridge crew, aside from Kirk himself. He's kind, of, he's kind of zany. He's kind of like snarky. He's a guy who likes to, you know, play, play jokes. Um, he's a little bit, especially in, in TOS, not in, always in the most appropriate way, but kind of a guy who likes the ladies. Um, and he definitely seems to have, again, to the, to the in my opinion, to the, to the extent that it's implied or shown not necessarily on purpose in TOS and prime timeline, but definitely seems to have more of a command ambition of his own. Um, and I know they eventually gave that to Sulu in the TOS movies, but it felt to me like if anything, Chekhov was the one, I mean, he's basically, you know, when we, when we find him on the Reliant in Wrath of Khan, he seems to have taken a path that's, that's, you know, on the way to his own captaincy at some point. Right. Um, and, uh, and it, and it, it, felt very right and I think that they definitely picked up I never thought about it until until then but I think they picked up on that um in the Kelvin timeline I think that uh from the from 09 you see Chekhov being very involved obviously smart brilliant uh, obviously ambitious and in a good way in the sense that he's willing to just put on different hats do different things um take on different jobs and responsibilities on the ship um I think even um Star Trek Continues, you know, picked up on that and, and started to, in their continuation of TOS, to show the character of Chekhov basically putting out the fact that he has ambitions besides his current station. Um, and so I really enjoyed that dynamic because I felt like, yeah, these characters actually, if you eliminate the rank for a second, they could be very compatible. I could see Kirk and Chekhov being a really good buddy, buddy action, buddy comedy duo together. So that's a good call out. Go ahead, Amy. 
Yeah, that's one of the things that, well, you touched on that made this movie so fresh was the unique pairings that they did. You know, you've got Sulu and Uhura and, you know, Kirk and Chekhov. And like you said, like, I saw Chekhov, like, questioning and just sort of picking up and gleaning everything he could about Captain Kirk. Like, well, how, when did you figure out that she, you know, wasn't, who she was, you know, when they found out she, anyways, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Okay. Um, so like, he's trying to learn from his captain and you can see that he wants to improve and get better and yeah, have this, he's got goals for himself and, and the pairings that they do just really made the film unique and special and something that I hadn't seen before. So I appreciate that you said that. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and I, I I agree with you, Nick. I, I didn't I didn't pick I I enjoyed the pairing. I thought they were fun together. I like when they got captured in uh, jail uh, trap. <laughs> you know? There's the wee man and that handsome bastard right there. I, I just always like that line. But um, yeah, it's it they they did do well. I think there's there's an emotional overtone just because of what happened to Anton, and you know it, it was it was tough watching that movie knowing he wasn't there anymore. Right. And then he wasn't coming back. So I think it had that additional drama to it because of that. It was, it was fun to watch him and sad at the same time because of what happened to him. So it's, uh, I, I think you're right. And if you look back across the movies and across the episode, I also agree with you. He was, he was my favorite bridge crew character growing up. I don't remember why at the time, but <laughs> just maybe it was because of that. He was light. He, um, he was funny. Uh, Sulu, he was, he was fine. Uhura was fine or whatever. They, they never really had a ton to do, but maybe because of his quirky accent and, and, and whatever it was, I, I just always appreciated him. And um, you're right. In, in, in real terms, if the movies were to, I guess, imitate life, he would have had his own captaincy just because he had been an executive officer in Star Trek two, and that would have been a normal progression. So yeah, I don't know why they switched it other than in Star Trek 2, they cut out the lines where Sulu had already been told he was going to be a captain. But at any rate, we're going down a rabbit hole there. But I, I do agree with the uh, the premise of what you're saying. And, and, and that, that was a good call out. I did not have that on my list. Well, you know, it's funny because, OK, this is going to be I guess this is going to be our standard orbit tangent. Um, for, We've had like for, plenty. For the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I wonder, and this is completely speculating, um, just just from having heard Walter Koenig um, a couple of times at conventions, um, he seems to have uh, a very good nature, kind of about just life in general and what's happened to him, and even bad things that happened to him related to his career. You know, uh, I've heard him talk also on on, um, um, on Aaron Harvey's show, Saturday Morning Treks. Mm-hmm. and and about the ups and downs of working on Star Trek while he was working on Star Trek and in between Star Trek projects but but through it all and, and when I heard him at conventions he he also seemed he seemed to have a very kind of um zen approach for lack of a better term um about it at least now it may not have been always the case but um in just in terms of what they did with which character I wonder if maybe there's a little bit of that he because i heard him talk specifically about the fact that he never felt like he um had the like he wasn't a place to push um for certain things as much as some of the other actors did 
because he had been brought on after the fact anyway. And, and he felt like he was always kind of the odd man out anyway, because he had less of a right than, than others to demand certain things. And he talked about how he, he was aware of some of the competition that happened with, with Shatner and, and with, and with Leonard Nimoy, you know, the big, the big three. Um, but he never felt as jit by it because he was already kind of the guy who was on, you know, the odd man out again. So I wonder if, because of that, that also may have led to some of the choices of saying, well, you know, we got to push this character more because, because there's more pressure to have something done with this character than from Walter with Chekhov. Um, and then again, this is me completely speculating just based on, on, you know, little things here that I, that I gleam, but um, he seems to have this very kind of content and good natured personality. And um, so seems to kind of fit into that possibility i would agree with that i don't know if you ever read his book warped factors it was a fascinating book uh, he's a very deep guy and he's had uh, a lot of incredible experiences and unique too um you know his father being checked checked and followed by the fdi fbi for being uh, a russian spy all kinds of stuff because they immigrated from or his, or his parents did immigrated from russia and uh, growing up in New York and all that stuff, but he was he was really neurotic and he was always very very hyperly self conscious about things, and he's very open about it. And I agree with you; he has a very calming influence. I think he's matured. If you if you've seen him a few times, like I have, um, you, you just you just realize he's a kind soul. Um, his book really gives you some. He, he shares everything. I mean everything. It's it's incredible what he shares, and um, and then I think that. Uh, he also had the ability, you know, some people when, when there's, when there's big personalities and so forth, and I, you, you, you know, there's certain people who can talk other people off ledgers or deal with that person who might be very intimidating. He had the ability to talk to William Shatner. He had the ability to, um, it, you know, kind of bring forth the way people were feeling. And there's a, um, you, you can probably find it on Amazon or something, but Kirk, uh, Kirk Shatner had a show called Raw Nerve. And um, he had Koenig on it. And it was all about the relationship between him and the, uh, and the supporting cast. And I thought it was a great conversation. And it was well, the way Koenig delivered the message and the way Shatner received it. And you could honestly see that, that Shatner was flying there just completely oblivious to a lot of the things that he was doing, as a lot of people in Hollywood do. And, you know, it's probably, it's probably the same in 60s, 70s, and 80s television for main cast, supporting cast, you know, you had that hierarchy in there. The difference was the supporting cast in Star Trek had an audience to, to gripe about. <laughs> and, and I think that that's really what's happened there. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating, but I, I agree with you. I, I don't know how that translated into, you know, that role with Beyond. It's, um, I think, like you say, these, he was just a special character, a unique character. And um, yeah, they, they pulled it off well. And I, and I think this, um, it's, it's sad that, that we lost Al, uh, Yelton. It's, it's also um, a good thing that he had such a prominent role in, in a support role. And then he got to play with, with Chris Pine and then it worked out. So the chemistry was perfect. Agreed, agreed, yeah. Good, yeah. good tangent, good tangent. All right, Amy, you've been patient. What you got next? All right, well, um... I want to give another quote 
but it goes into my third. And so this is near the end of the movie. And uh, we're going to mention Crawl here. So Crawl says, and I, I really like this quote, says, the Federation has taught you that conflict should not exist, but without struggle, you will never know who you truly are. And I like that quote because to me, I believe it's true. And even though we have the, you know, the bad guy saying it, like what he says is true. And that ties into my third and final pick of Beyond when they are in the airlock and they're trying to get the weapon to go into outer space and they're Kirk and Crawl are in there. There's no gravity and they're beating each other up and, and so Kirk is trying to undo the clamp to get the weapon to go out. And, you know, he had beat up Crawl and Crawl comes up. And every time I tell you, every time I'm like, Crawl's going to change his mind because Kirk has told him that the Federation is different. They're not at war anymore. We're at peace. We're exploring, you know, and Crawl doesn't know this. And so I, every time I think, okay, crawl, he's going to go up and he's going to help Kirk get the clamp undone. And then that'll take the weapon and save the station, right? No, it doesn't happen. And crawl is coming up and he sees the shards of glass in floating through the air and he sees his reflection. And it's at that point where you're like, oh my gosh, he reaches for the shard and he uses it as a weapon because he knows who he is. And it just gets me every time because I want him to change. I want him to be a part of the Federation, but he doesn't. And that's, I really like that scene. Yeah, well, it's a good scene. And they originally wrote it the way you wanted it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They changed How it. How do you know this? How do I not know this? Well, you, you're, you're, you're busy. You're on 27 other shows. I can just focus on this thing. <laughs> Wait, so he was going to go? Yeah, they originally, they, they, they originally wrote it. And, they, and I don't know, Nick, maybe you do, if they actually filmed it. And they just felt it was, it was too common a thing in movies to see that switch yeah. and too predictable. And so they yes. thought it would be less predictable if they went the other way and kept it more true to his character that, you know, for a hundred years or whatever, he's been embroiled in this. So you see him contemplating it. Yeah. Definitely capture that. You know, he's, he's, he is thinking about it, but then he goes the other way. Yeah. yeah. To, to my, to my knowledge, I don't think they filmed it any other way. And I think that's, that's why it, it works so well because I think they filmed it in a way which works both ways and they filmed it in a way, you know, the, the cutting leading up to the point where he makes the decision plays exactly the way it would if you were going with the normal trope or the more common trope of the, the foe, the foil who realizes the error of his ways and is going to sacrifice himself to help the, the hero at the very end. Right. Um, and so, and, and they played it up with the music as well. So, so it really, it, they, they really played, this is where, that's where, that's when filmmaking gets clever. You know, I heard a director, Alex Garland, who, who directed Ex Machina, um, made a, make a very smart remark. He said, you know, you, you, at this point in the history of cinema, we, viewers are our allies, our friends, because by the time someone is going to watch your film, they will have seen 
thousands of hours of television and film. And so there are all kinds of subliminal expectations that you don't think about, but based on a music cue, based on the way a shot is cut, framed, you're going to expect something to happen. And so you can use that to your advantage to make it happen more seamlessly without having to explain it because the audience will expect it, or in this case, to actually go against the grain and set them up without doing anything, without saying anything, they're going to naturally assume that a chain of event is going to happen. And then you actually go exactly against the grain. So that's, that's what they, they chose to do. Okay. Hook, line and sinker right there. And, and I've seen the movie, I can't even tell you 15 plus times. And I just watched it again tonight. So 16, I don't know, however many. And every time I'm like, okay, he's going, and I know the outcome, but I just feel like he mm -hmm. wants to change. And yes. So, and it just, it just makes me think like, what in our lives are we refusing to change? You know, it just, it's such a good to me, what makes Star Trek and it makes me think on my life and my choices that I make. And, you know, that to me is Star Trek. Yeah, that's great. All right, Nick, what's, what's your favorite? Okay. So my favorite, this is me finding all the ways I can find to cheat. Um, so, because it's going to be one scene that allows me to talk about other scenes. So um, the final third of the movie. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like you did it's... with uh, Bones and, and Stunk yeah. there. Yeah, you yeah. talked about the whole movie with that yep. one. I see yep. what you're doing. Here we go again. Um, so it's, it's the, the scene where Jayla um, tells Kirk, you take my house and you make it fly. Um, and... I love it because, because first of all, um, for Jayla, and this is where kind of, this is my first cheat because I really, I think she is an amazing addition to this film. And, and again, you know, looking, looking um, through the best way to make my picks, um, I decided that she, she, you know, as a character in the whole film is, is probably what I would have to say then is my favorite because it's very rare. In fact, I'm not, it's very rare for Star Trek movies to actually create a completely new character that's not throwaway, that feels like they're legitimately part of the Star Trek family, the Star Trek story from then on. Um, Savik, in my opinion, is probably the second closest. And I love, I love Savik from the, from the TOS movies. But in a way, I think Jayla is a better character even in um, one that I could, I want to see more of. Uh, and this is not to belittle Savik because I really, really, I've always liked her character. Um, but Jayla is such a, a perfect addition. And it feels like, again, she, she, um, she fits you could see her i could imagine her on on the bridge with that crew right there and, and the dynamics that she has with the different characters with scotty with kirk um feel like they they she could instantly slip into a, a typical kind of star trek you know day um and at the same time she's completely new and uh um that was a that was a, a really big tour de force i thought for them to to achieve that um with this character um, and, and to be able to do it with uh, a strong female 
who you know kind of is a star trek taking its place among the big franchises and and helping us change our perspective um i thought that was another great thing and and i think uh, a lot of credit needs to go to sophia butella herself the actress um you know the character is very well is very well written um so her dialogue plays very well with the other actors but i think that she brought something there's something that's very naive and childlike and endearing that way, but also very strong. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I mean, she's definitely a very strong woman and at the same time, very fragile uh, and vulnerable in good ways, not weak. Um, and, and she really was able, whether, whether it's in a simple comic relief moment with Scotty or whether it's, it's when she talks about her own past and it gets more emotional, she was able to really nail it, I, I think, scene after scene. Um, so uh, I think she deserves a lot of credit for, for the fact that uh, universally, I've, I've always heard good things about Jayla. And, uh, but I, I, people don't often, I think, I, I haven't heard people often comment on it through the work of, of the actress herself. And I think that she deserves a, a kind of a big kudos for that. Um, and, and also that line, because you know when she says, you take my house, she's talking about the Franklin and you know, again, there's another great addition to the movie, another great addition to Star Trek call back to enterprise, you know, in that era, whoop, whoop, the NX-01 and, and those, those ships. Um, and, and the, cause one, one moment that I would have put if it had been a top four, top five um, is the, the reveal of the, of the Franklin, um, you know, which is which comes right after that. And basically that, that whole scene, and it's a trope, you know, the, the, the shit that falls and you think it's going to crash and then it kind of comes back into frame. But it's done so well. And that ship is so cool. And, and, and this is one of those moments where it doesn't matter how jaded you are as a viewer, as a film goer, as a Star Trek fan. You know, it comes out of frame. The beat goes by. It comes back. And you just, you just roll your fist and you go, yes. You know, and you just want to go see, see it kick some butt in space. So, yep. Great call out. Great call out. What are your thoughts on that, Amy? Yeah, I like Jayla too. And definitely she does feel like a part in, of the crew. And she just sort of is welcomed in, especially, you know, Simon Pegg and his character. And, you know, you cannot break a wee bundle of sticks, you know. And, and he's the one that goes to bat for her. It's like, you know, they were sort of getting mad at Jayla. Well, how come you didn't tell us that you know where this base is? We could go in and save our family, our crew. And she, you know, just the horror and the fear that she has had from her, you know, previous experience. She's like, no, I'm not going back there. And, you know, so that whole conversation and they just, you are part of our family now and we've adopted you, you are it. And then, you know, when they are beaming everyone out and then Kirk, stays is like yep we're gonna go together like that just solidified everything and her value and importance to the crew yeah good good call yeah she was a special edition and i i do hope they bring her back if they if they make any more movies i don't know that, that they are but i hope they do i don't want this uh this generation to go away i, I wanted to keep running but we'll see but yeah she she was a a a very welcome addition and a lot of fun and everything you said, both of you said, I think is, is, is spot on. I was, um, 
I was on a flight. I don't know. It might've been the flight from Denver to San Diego a couple of weeks ago. And uh, they were playing the mummy. And I was like, Oh man, this poor woman went from Jayla with class, dignity, vulnerability, great action scenes to a trope villain that was just a sex object. And I was like, poor Sophia, I really felt for her. I don't know if you've seen that movie. I think I'm one of seven that have seen it. And that was only because I happened to be on a flight at the time, but it was God awful. But I, 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 really I, felt I, for her. I almost went to see it just because she was in it. And, and I liked her so much in the two movies I've seen her, um, this one and, and, the, and Kingsman. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, but I couldn't bring myself to. <laughs> no, you, you, you didn't miss anything. And like I said, she, <laughs> it was definitely more exploited than anything. I was actually surprised to the degree they did. But at any rate, we move on. Um, so we got your top pick, Nick, or no, are we, are we good? You got yours out there. Okay. Amy, you got them all? Well, yeah, but can I just squeeze one more one in? It's an action scene. Why not? I know. Now, I'm, now I'm, if, I'm, if, if any of you, if any of you, um, Amy Nelson students are listening, remember that the next time that she says that she says it's too late to turn in, you know, a piece of homework. This is where you, you can quote that uh, and say, "Can I? Can I, Miss Nelson? Nelson, can I squeeze just one?" All right, all right. This no, no, no. Podcasting. It, this is different. It's, it's the Senior Chiefs show, not mine. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, well, if it was your show, you'd be doing the same thing. You don't want to feel her wrath either. <laughs> I agree. I agree. All Let right. the lady well, win. Real quick, real quick. So, because I didn't, none of those scenes were like action, and there is a lot of action and the loud music and stuff like that. But one that I like that just to me, and I love the Pierce Brosnan, James Bond movies, because that's when I was watching them with my dad and stuff. So there's a lot. So to me, the James Bond moment is when the Enterprise and they're, they're chasing through the, what's the spear again? Yorktown Station? Yes, Yorktown. And they're going through and Crawl and the two other ships are going through. And they're like, we can't catch, all, catch them all. Okay. So then they're like, we'll divert them into this one tunnel. So they're in this tunnel and up comes the Enterprise and it catches all three of the ships. Come on now. That's James Bond right there. Pierce Brosnan, James Bond. Because that's like out, just way out there, unbelievable, but yet so, so good. Well, I'm sure Nick was happy because he liked to see his Franklin do some damage. That's true. And I'm a big James Bond fan. So boom, that double. Works out well, yeah. I've got the whole collection myself of James Bond movies. I'll have yeah. to bring that up to New Hampshire too. Sorry, folks, that's another subject. Anyway. Uh <laughs> well, I have all the Pierce Brosnan ones because those are the ones I like. And this, I know the action scenes are just way over the top, but I love them. I'm a sucker for them. So I, I could say that this movie had some way over the top scenes, you know, especially the very end and, you know, being Kirk not going through the, the vent into outer space, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've got, now we're set. We've got them all. Yeah. I think that was sort of five. I snuck five in there. So yeah, that's fine. That's counting. Fine. Yeah. Hey, you know what? It's a great discussion. So if you want to know what my number one Star Trek epitomizing, personifying Star Trek scene was, a lot of people who've listened to the show probably already know what I'm going to say, but it was actually the tour of Yorktown Station. 
when the camera was taking us all across Yorktown Station. And I'll tell you why. Nowhere in Star Trek before this movie have we ever seen a glimpse of what the United Federation of Planets truly is. We've only heard it spoken to. And we have visited individual planets. Nimbus 3 certainly doesn't count. <laughs> and what they did was is they 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 took you into what the society what what they've been talking and talking about for years and years and years right it, we've never seen it and there's all these different aliens walking around the the way spock introduced it was they didn't want to show any um geographical favoritism right because that would be rough from a diplomatic point of view. So they built this thing where everybody could come together. And if you watch closely, they have uh, children sitting in circles of different species in the same clothes. And you can tell like they're, they're in a little circle group, right? Talking to one another. And you see people just going about their business and it has a Disney World feel to it. Now, for anybody that's gone to, to Disney World, um, I would say one of the, the characteristics of it is, is that it's a place to have fun and it's a place to escape and it's a place where you feel safe. And that is everything with that music, with the scenes that they put together for the first time I got to see this society that they have been talking about and have never demonstrated because other than Starfleet, which, you know, an elite bunch of officers all the time, talking about Starfleet officers and talking about the Federation, you don't, you don't see commerce, you don't see transportation, you don't see anything. You see bits and bobs here on this planet, this planet, but not the whole thing. And in one shot, they captured what, is the, what the Federation is supposed to be about. And now it's indelibly stamped in my head, and I think it's wonderful, because how do you capture something so big? They figured it out. They figured it out in this movie. And that is what really made me smile. And as much as Bones was saying, it looks like a you know, big snow globe in space or monstrosity or whatever, it really truly wasn't. You know, it was a clean, safe environment where people from all over the galaxy, so obviously this is meant to be what Earth could be, getting along and, and doing good things and people of all different shapes, sizes and whatnot coming together, no judgment, none, zero. You're just living your life and it's, it's works. They, they, they found a way. So to me, that was the scene that is my favorite in the whole movie just because of that, because I've waited whatever it was, 49 years at that point, 50 years to see what they've been talking about because they've never been able to show me. That's it. That's a, it's a very, very good point. Um, I remember you mentioning that um, to Zach on a previous episode of Standard Orbit. And, and when, I, when I heard you first say it, I, it just dawned on me. I had never thought about it that way. And you're completely right. Um, we had never, we had heard references to the paradise of the Federation and, and what it represents and what we can accomplish, you know, if we follow this ideal. But, and this is weird because it's such a basic rule of filmmaking, you know, show, don't tell. Uh, for understandably, I'm sure for budgetary reasons, partly before, but you would think that as times wore on and as we got into the next generation era and beyond and, and, the, and, you know, even the later TOS movies where there's definitely a lot of budget that somebody might have realized, well, 
crap, we've never shown what the Federation actually is. The Federation, not just Earth, not just Starfleet, but the Federation, what it represents. And, and it's a very, very good point. And, and I think that um, in addition to the, to the people that you see uh, living in harmony, Yorktown itself is a physical representation of what, you know, what the sum can achieve that the individual parts can't. Right. Because I, I remember first, first uh, showing the, the movie to my best friend. And it's funny, when they first revealed Yorktown, his first reaction was, it, it wasn't negative, you know, he didn't get anger into it, but he said, well, well how, how could they have built this? It's just crazy. It's just, it's, it's so, so incredible. And then as we, we, the movie kept playing, and a couple of minutes later, he actually, he actually asked me to pause. And, and I did. And he said, you know, actually, come to think of it it, it, it makes sense because I guess what they're trying to show is that on the fringes of Federation space, with all the worlds that have come together to become the Federation, is the only way that they can build something like this, something of that magnitude, something that is that sophisticated from an architectural standpoint, from a scientific standpoint. And, 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 and I said, yeah, I think that that was the idea that we're going for, to show that, that it epitomizes the success um, in, 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 the way, in, in the way that it's, it's this crazy thing that, that we've never seen before. It tells you, well, this is what, this is what people, when they pull together their scientific knowledge, their cultural knowledge, and so on, this is what they can achieve, something that they could never do on their own. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very, 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 very good mention. Yeah, and, and you know, I thought, too, when they, when they were exiting the ship and the whole scene with Sulu and, and his daughter and his boyfriend, all of that stuff, to me, it just it all came together. It just all came together. I liked it. Any thoughts on that, Amy? Yeah, I am actually surprised to hear you say that. I've never even thought of that, and but yet so profound that it is. I mean, you, exactly right. That's there's life outside of Starfleet, and this is what it looks like. And there's the ability to live together peacefully in harmony, working together, you know, learning from each other it really is epitomized what Star Trek is. And I never thought of that before seeing that. So thank you. And um, I'm glad it's a, it's a good show. I, I enjoy you guys so much. And I, I appreciate you both so much for, for coming on and, and spending the time with us. It's, um, this is, this has gone on a while. So this is good. I've been putting out like 25, 27 minute shows, which makes sense when it's one person and it's half. And you usually do an hour-long show. Okay, you do the math. You might know something about math, Amy. I'm not sure, but I can something, help you with it. Yeah, bit. yeah. If you need some tutoring or assistance, I'm I'm here for you. Okay. Thanks. But uh, let me ask anyone before we 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 get into our, our normal closing stuff. Uh, any any final thoughts on on today's topic or anything else you wanted to throw out there? Any other tidbits? Well, I. When Beyond came out and all the hubbub and talk on the Babel conference was, well, which one's your favorite, da, da, da. And I thought that Beyond was so, so good, but it wouldn't have been anything without Star Trek 2009. So to me, like those two 
are linked because I like them both so much. And I don't think beyond would have been as good as it was without 2009. And I think the world of beyond, I love it. I could have filled two more hours of favorite moments and quotes and the idea that Star Trek is and what it embodies and, and embraces and can teach us with each pairing and with each scene and the quotes that they say. I mean, the writing was so good. The filming, I don't know much about filming, but I was engaged the entire movie. And I really, really am so grateful that you had me on so I could share my love of Beyond. And part of it is that I was able to go to the fan event and to the premiere in San Diego because feeling all of that excitement, like when everyone's feeling the same thing, there's energy, synergy in the air. And it just, it takes that viewing to a whole nother level. And so for me, Beyond will be a movie that I will always, always love. And I will watch over and over. If anyone wants to watch it at any time, drop of a hat, I'm there. Because I it, I love it so much. I've seen it so many times. I love oh, it. I'm impressed. I do have to say I was a little bit afraid you were going to say it wouldn't have been anything without Star Trek Nemesis. That's what I thought you were going to say, but you didn't. So that's good. You're funny. <laughs> I didn't know where that was going to go. What about you, Nick? Um, well, continuing kind of on what uh, Amy was saying, uh, I think, yeah, one and Beyond has many, 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 many qualities and very, very few flaws. Um, one of them is that it it actually it it continues the story of Star Trek Nine, um, and it does so very well. Uh, but in doing that, it shows that this crew, this era does have a story to tell. Um, and if you take the time to think about it and where that story lies, it's a very compelling story. Um, and, and Beyond really serves to, to, really, to really say, you know, Star Trek 09 is not just a fluke. It's not just a cool action movie that where things fell together and worked, um, which, after Into Darkness, and I'm not going to spend time, you know, being negative on Darkness, but basically you kind of had, again, going back to math, sort of a law of average 50-50, you know, one movie that came out okay, one movie that largely people agreed didn't come out okay. And so you could kind of say, well, who knows, maybe maybe this is just not the right time for these movies, for that crew, et cetera, et cetera, or nine worked, but, but Beyond really told us no, there is there is a message. There is a Star Trek message. There is a Star Trek story to this to the to, to these movies, to this crew, to the filmmakers making these films. Um, and this is where I continue, kind of what Amy was saying. I think that what Beyond does is really really makes me want to see that that story, if not continue, at least conclude. Um, it really tells you. Um, that that this story should should progress to its natural conclusion whatever that is and whenever that is whether it's the next movie or you know four movies later but um i really hope that in the long run it serves that purpose that that another quality we can attribute to it three four five years from now is that it was the platform that elevated 09 and that allowed 
Star Trek four um, Kelvin to happen um, because it really deserves it, it deserves that I think additional validation uh, it, it really tells you that it's a chapter um, that makes you want to turn the page and read what happens what happens next I think Paramount is smart you know Paramount and CBS are playing like like really amicably divorced parents um, treating their 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 child well as well as as can be and CBS gave them breathing room when they were playing with the kid and, and doing their thing. And I think Paramount is now giving CBS breathing room and, and letting them um, spread their wings with, with discovery. That's, I think, I think it's, it's good, smart on both sides. Um, but there will come a time, I think when, when you can start thinking about the next big movie adventure. And I hope that when that happens, um, it is the next adventure of, of, the Kelvin TOS group. Well, I hope you're right. I um, I will say that that both parents suck at staying on schedule. That's about <laughs> all I can say because they were both pretty late. But uh, yeah, they're I, very busy. They work <laughs> a lot. They do work a lot. But you know, I I didn't even think about as far as what you're saying about giving the breathing room and the space. I'm hopeful that a lot of the great characteristics that come out of Beyond are are played up in in Discovery, and I'm I'm sure they will. You can see a lot of the um, cinematography effects and things like that. They're really borrowing heavily from, from this timeline, which I think is the right to, thing to do, by the way. So well, I'm with you. Okay. Absolutely. And, and to be fair, to be fair, um, even if they hadn't wanted to be smart and mature and do the right thing, CBS wouldn't really have had the choice uh, because if I'm not mistaken, it was, it was in the clauses. They had a do not compete clause with Paramount. Um, they were not allowed to put any new Star Trek show on the air um, until six months to the date after the release of the third Paramount Star Trek film, if Paramount ever got to a third one, mm-hmm. which is why if you, if you look at the, the original uh, timeline, they basically, the reason why they announced this January date uh, for Discovery was because it was, I mean, the, the, the timing coincides with, exactly what their do not compete clause demanded I see. Um, as soon as they were allowed to they basically try to try to 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 promote the the new show but um and you know i want to say also uh, thank you very very much for having me on um and for letting me take the ship out tonight um i hope i did okay i hope i didn't scratch the paint on the hull on the way out of uh, space dock she seems um, okay it was, uh, it, was, it was, well, first of all, you're welcome and thank you for being on the show. It's my, my pleasure and, and honor to have you uh, and, and you as well, Miss Nelson, back there smiling. So, um, no, I think, I think it was fine. I, 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 I like the idea of, of, of other people driving this thing. <laughs> it's good. And, uh, and I look forward to having you both back on. I'm sure it'll be a foursome when we'll have Zach back with us and, He'll be in rare form again and, and, and bringing... Come back, Zach. Come back, Zach. Yes, please. You know, this, this editing takes forever. It's brutal. I need you. <laughs> Who else is going to call me Ape Face if you're not around? Yeah, I would never do it. Never, 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 never. Nope, nope. So um, before we get to the end here, I want to take a few seconds here to thank our associate producers for Standard Orbit. We have quite a few of them, and they do a lot to ensure that this, this uh, podcast stays on the air and that the network stays viable. That's Renee Roberts, Richard Marquez. Where's that guy from? 
I don't know. Aaron Harvey, some guy named Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Norman Lyle, and Corey Elrod representing us from the Deep South. I'm loving it. And uh, Zach and I are so happy that, um, that all of you, and we appreciate you, Nick, and in, in the contributions that you're making to this. It's, uh, it's, it's a real source of pride for us that we have not only as many associate producers that we have, but the, the character of all of them, just, just wonderful people. So it's a real honor. So Nick, where can we find you on the interweb, sir? It's my privilege. Um, I am not on Twitter, which seems to be more and more the common place where people um, can or want to be found. But you can find me on Facebook. Um, it's kind of the, uh, the, uh, the, my, my, main, my main social media um, access platform, uh, just my name, uh, Nick Anastasio or Nicholas Anastasio. And I'm also on the Babel Conference quite a lot. So if you're listening to this show, chances are you probably at least know of the Babel Conference uh, or are uh, lurking around the Babel Conference quite a bit too. So you can find me there easily. Okay. Amy, we've uh, blocked out 20 minutes so you can list all the things you're doing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, um, you can find me here on the network. Um, I am on Earl Gray. I co-host with Justin Ozer and Richard Marquez, and that's our podcast for the next generation. Uh, you can find me on The Edge, which is our podcast for the new Discovery show that's dropping. And I co-host with Brandon Shamutella. Aaron Harvey and Mike Schindler. I do a little mini show called Postcards from the Edge. That's really fun. And um, yeah, that's that's it. So you can that's find all. me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. And I am also on Facebook, favorite place, Babel Conference, hang out there. That's really the best place to talk to me. So, Ken, where can people talk? find you? They find me here on this show. That's it. <laughs> I am not wandering all over the, ne the network. And, uh, and I appreciate your making yourself available to do that. It's, I don't think a lot of people realize how much time and effort it takes to put these shows together and to do three of them. That's, that's nuts. But Yeah, my students. God love you. Yeah, yeah they, I just tell them and they think I'm a rock star. So, yeah. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah. It's, it's in the contract. That, yes, yes, yes. But uh, hopefully that we met all the conditions for your rider and that everything in the green room is ready for you for standard orbit. You know, um, it's, it's tough. I, yeah, Champagne Verde and all that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's rough. But you can find me here on Standard Orbit. You can find me on the Babel Conference. That's where I like to hang out, especially after the show's drop to engage everybody in conversation about what we've just done. You can find me on Twitter at Boston SCPO. And I look forward to, uh, to, to, to continuing on here. We're on episode 190, big countdown to the big 200 for Standard Orbit. So that's exciting. Hopefully by 191, 192, we'll have Zach back and, and, and things will be moving ahead at warp speed. So um, good luck with Discovery. Nick, thanks again for, for being aboard. As always, it's a pleasure. And thank you everyone for listening and join us again next week on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.